0: Hi, and welcome to ProBlind. Uh, I'm your host, Reed Howey. Uh, we're here thanks to the generous annual grant of the, from the good folks at the thrift shop. And we wanna provide an opportunity for you to get to know the candidates that are running for office in the upcoming Aspen election. And today we get to have a conversation with Skippy Mezzaro, who is running for town city council. So Skippy, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I've had a a good day so far. Got up, had a good little campaign meeting, came over here and got to know you a bit, which was a nice start.
0: Great. Yeah. Well, let's give the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit. And maybe you can tell, I I don't know you at all, so how long have you been in Aspen?
1: Um, My family, grandparents, first came here in 52. Um, They bought property in Snowmass in 67, so before the lift even opened. you know, Stein taught my mom to ski, and then she taught me at 15 months. So um, since I was, I mean, before memories, this is the only place we would be other than home in Chicago. Uh, and I used to beg my parents to move here, but um, they, they told me in no unspecific terms that there were drugs in Aspen. And so that would, that would not be allowed. And I thought, there's no drugs in Chicago, Mom.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. That's not a problem.
1: <laughs> um, but what I, part I, of Chicago I, are you from? Uh, I was uh, born in Evanston. Uh-huh. Uh, my parents had a almost decade-long divorce, so I grew up actually with my grandparents in Glencoe, uh, and then I spent my last five years in sort of River North, uh, Lincoln Park area. Um, but I, So you're
0: a Cubs fan, if you're,
1: you no, have to pick a baseball I know, team. No, I'm, I'm a White Sox fan. I'm actually offended. Oh. <laughs> that would be the But you're from the my North dad, side. My dad's, my dad's family. Um, so… Um, We're done here. He's yeah. not a Cubs fan. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so, anyways, I, I moved here first 14 years ago. Uh, graduated early from high school, four days after turning 18. Next morning at 4 a.m., I was driving to Aspen. and um, Why? It's just always been my Jones? favorite place in the world. <laughs> yes. Um, definitely. Uh, no, you know, I always say, I mean, I, I originally came up to ski. Yeah. Um, my So I mentioned I, I grew up with my grandparents. My grandfather, you know, was the sort of, Father figure in my life, and definitely the person I most looked up to. You know, he's a only Jewish family from Southern Illinois, one of like a litter of brothers who actually made it north. Um, my grandmother, who they kind of f- fled persecution, Jewish family from Europe. They met. She worked switchboards and sent him through medical school. Um, the coolest part about it actually is uh, when. He became a doctor, surgeon. Um, he then worked, and she went and got an economics degree from the University of Chicago, which for a woman of 93 is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so he worked 80 hours a week, but she kind of ran all the finances in the house, and he was very much that guy that you know worked 80, probably 100 hours a week. Um, but on the weekend was riding his single speed bike to Canada. Um, just non-stop kind of wow. person. Work hard, play hard was the mantra. And, um, you know, they were the ones that, that brought us to Aspen. Uh, oh. So he ended up having Parkinson's. And, um, uh, you know, it's obviously a degenerative disease. And so kind of near the end uh, was my junior year of high school. I spent probably close to three months. I didn't even go to school. I just lived in the hospital bed room. And the only two times I left that room when I kind of just couldn't take it, um, I got in my car and I drove to Wisconsin I went skiing for the day, like that was my reprieve. And I don't know, it just really connected my favorite activity to something maybe more internal. And um, right after he passed, just serendipitously, I ran into my buddy, David Canman, who's six foot eight lanky green giant of a man who I played football with. And uh, he was telling me he was graduating early to go to a trade school. And I said, you can do what? Uh, so I, I went into my uh, advisor's office. And I said, hey, what do I have to do to graduate early? This is a thing you can do. She's like, yeah, it is a thing. She pulls out my record. And um, I would describe myself as a, uh, like a dedicated procrastinator. If there's something to be done now, I, I like, can't put it off to the next moment. And so I had taken 21 credits every year. No lunch, no recess, just because that's how I operate. And um, she was like, well, if you just add one class early time, that's all you need to do, and you can leave a semester early. And I said, I would really like to go ski for a season. Mm -hmm. So I came out here to do that before college. Um, I fell in love with it. I met a bunch of local guys who were older than me. I was 18. They were 25, 26 Brian Anzini, JF Brueger, uh, Tony Prinkle, I mean, some of the best skiers in the Valley. I just chased them around for a season, you know, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. And um, that coupled with having some basis skiing from two, but, you know, not every day like kids who grew up here do, and some level of athleticism was able to get good enough to end up on the ski team at Boulder. Uh, so then I lived here in the winters, and I went to summer school on an athlete schedule. Um, and, uh, I did leave for a little bit for the real world to follow career, job, that kind of thing. And I came back. What was that? Uh, so I, in co- I also graduated early from college. Same kind of deal. Um, but I got completely enamored with the Obama race in 2008. So I uh, graduated early um, and went back to Chicago, stayed at my parents' place, and uh, took an interview at HQ and started as an unpaid intern uh, and by the end of the campaign I was the deputy political director for five states and home state, right, so you've got Illinois and then the five surrounding states So you hub and spoke kind of thing, um, which was like the most amazing job you could have right out of college, I mean, you're making literally nothing and then near nothing uh, and working in many instances, 120 hour weeks. Last, last three weeks of the campaign I slept on my desk or under it, but it was incredible followed um, him out to D.C. after working in the Senate office, Uh, came back, ran a statewide race uh, in Illinois for the Secretary of State at 23, Um, and... Did your candidate win? uh, Not only did he win, but in the, I think it's now, because he's he's running uh, again, I think it's now in his 12 victories, it was the highest margin of victory he's ever had. and he's a great guy. Um, and so, but despite that, I got really turned off with the political thing during that campaign. Um, working in, in Chicago politics, and Illinois State House will do that to you. Pace of change, motivations of people, It's just really kind of disheartening, especially after the frenzy of Obama, you know? Um, and so I kind of struck out. I thought, hey, I will, uh, I'll try something different. And uh, embarked on uh, two failed entrepreneurial adventures. But during that time, I could live anywhere. It didn't matter. So I moved I held it on a in aspen. So, uh, and it, that was the point when I just, I got to really know everybody um, I, because I had my own projects. I had to earn an income, so I started working at uh, the institute and doing like consulting for a bunch of nonprofits, the buddy program, AVSC. I was coaching the big mountain team for AVSC at that point. And so all of a sudden, my world of Aspen grew. And it was all these people who were the generation before me um, who I could learn from and, and kind of seep in the history of, but then also coaching, you get the kids. And I don't know, something happens when you have three generations of perspective. Um, and so I always say, you know, I came here for skiing and I stayed for community. And I just think it's the best place in the world and I, I love it. Um, and I wanna see, like I wanna have, I'm 32, right? Of anyone in the race, I'm by far the youngest. And I want and insist that this place is better for my grandkids than my grandparents left it for me, and um, we're just we're not on that track. I still feel called to service, and yeah, I guess that's, that's how I ended up at this table. Which I'm not sure if that was your question. <laughs> Don't let me talk too much; it just happens. I'll ask my well, friends.
0: <laughs> it's an interview. That's kind of the point of it: is to to let you talk and let people get to know you. And uh, but so what? What specifically gets you motivated to run for council? Um, have you ever held an elective office before?
1: Uh, sort of. You, you ran once, right? I ran once and lost narrowly by 102 votes. That was two years ago. Learned yeah. a lot from that, by the way. We can talk about it if you're interested. Um, but I have uh, three terms chairing our planning and zoning commission. So not publicly elected, but elected by my fellow commissioners. Yeah. One term as co-chair of that commission. Uh, and then I... How I kind of got dragged back in very unexpectedly into Aspen politics was through the Next Generation Advisory Commission, which at the time was just an idea, it wasn't even that, but um, was part of the process to create that, to build the structure around it, uh, chaired that for the first two terms. I told my fellow commissioners I would only do two terms because I wanted it to have turnover so it could have longevity, which was the goal. Um, I helped run the ballot initiative to change our local election date so we could stop having our election when the fewest voters were in town, something we've been trying to accomplish since the 80s, and we won that by uh, 40 points. So, um, yeah, I haven't been elected by the broad public. I hope to, obviously. Right. Um, But I do, I've had, I think I'm unique in this race in that I'm both 32 years old, so I have a completely different and fresh perspective on problems. By nature of that timeline, I have a much longer-term perspective on things. Um, but I also have, you know, seven years of experience in governance and a track record of getting stuff done. Which, you know, to me, my single biggest frustration with this council is like, what are you doing? Not saying, but doing. You know, I, I read the interviews in the paper, and it's shocking to me. Um, people that have been in office for four, eight, in case, some cases over 20 years, and they're talking about fresh ideas and housing because it sounds good and they see that people are getting a response. But what have you actually done with your time there? And um, it, I don't know. It's just, it's been quite a frustration for me. And will So see. what do you want to do? Yeah. To me, look, you, Anything that you're going to do well, you have to identify a problem statement first, right? And then I think you start with first principles, which is before you, you know, add anything on top, you've got to fix the foundation, right? And so to me, the problem statement, and tell me if you agree or not, I'm happy to, to listen. Um, look, Aspen's middle has been eroding for 20, 30 years. Um, and this is not an Aspen specific problem. This is happening all over the Western world, right? We're segmenting into only the uber wealthy. Uh, and sort of the the servant class. There is not a society on Earth that's been successful at that. It's not Aspen's fault. Um, It happens at every point in significant technological change, if you read history. Um, However, that type of divide tends to happen quicker and more significantly in wealthy communities. Aspen's a wealthy community, I don't know if you know. (laughs) Which is a good thing. Um, But the people that came before me, uh, really, and not to pigeonhole your age, but like your generation, you know, the- the.
0: Well, the, I, I can't quite hear you. <laughs> so. The
1: Reed's, the Michael Kinsley's, the, um, you guys did some hard shit, right? Down zoning of town, open space, the walking malls, the affordable housing program, we take them for granted now. The RET, the primary funding source for affordable housing passed by 10 votes. The walking mall had business owners filing legal injunctions and lawsuits and carrying guns around. Um, It wasn't easy, but they had a vision and they stuck to it. And because of that, they were able to keep this a full community. But I think we are now at the point where those interventions have worn off. And I think we're at the tipping point where if we don't double down on that initial formula, um, it will be too late.
0: So what does that mean, double
1: down on the initial formula? Yeah, so I think, you asked me the question, the direct answer is, all of my energy on council goes to rebuilding that middle. Not because there's anything wrong with the wealthy or wrong with um, the, the class down here. There's nothing, but it takes all of it and it yeah. won't work without all of it. Right? How will you do that? So one, as I mentioned to you, um, you can't do everything, right? If you try and do everything, you succeed at nothing. So I wanna be very honest with you and with the voters about where my time actually goes because I'm gonna be very narrowly focused. The first and most important thing is housing. Everybody talks about it. What do they do about it? If you don't solve the housing crisis, and by the way, it is about to get hugely worse if we do nothing. Entropy is not our friend in this. Um, We have to get really bold and really brave about how we take on housing. Um, But if we don't solve housing, nothing else matters. You You do transportation, who is it for? You fix up the curbs and gutters, who is it for? You build a hotel. Who's going to work in it? Um, so that has to be number one. And to me, you, there are two unassailable pillars that we have to agree to as a community. One, we have to keep our commitment to the retirees who built this town, right? Not just because they built it, but look, I grew up my grandparents' home. The transfer of generational knowledge and wisdom is vital to any community. After uh, real estate and the ski mountain. Our number three thing is intellect and nonprofits. Who do you think all those volunteers are? Um, So that's number one. Number two, our initial goal was to house 60% of our workforce in town. We are at 38% and dropping. We have to recommit to that 60%. Those are the two things that to me are non-negotiable. To get there will be difficult. It's gonna take 10 years if we're really good. It's also gonna require trade-offs. This isn't happening. You don't get something for nothing, right? Um, Whether it's money, whether it's density, uh, whether it's buy-downs, something's going to have to give. Um, But I think if you're not willing to accept those trade-offs, then you're implicitly or explicitly accepting the demise of our town, and I refuse to do that. So to me, that's, that's number one. The next two things I think of most import to rebuilding the middle, our affordable business, and if we're gonna be here for 100 more years, uh, resilience, because we are not planning for our climate future. Um, so those are the three issues. Um, but, and I, probably the only candidate uh, that would be you know stupid and or brave enough to do this, but you go to my website and there's an action plan on there. So y- year one, I'm focusing on only two things. One is the housing. That's most of my time. The second is anyone who's been observing City Hall should know our public engagement process is broken, right? From city hall to shift, to the bike lane, to the bridge, to the power plant, time and time again, we spend, in many cases, over a decade of time, millions of taxpayers' dollars to get nothing done. So until you fix that foundational issue, which is how you go about solving things, you don't solve others. And so my pet project, um, look, I was taught that to whom much is given, much is expected. That those of us that benefit from the world have a responsibility to the rest of it. No one's luckier than Aspen. There is very little we can do here to make an appreciable appreciable shift in the world. So climate change is a great example, right? Canary initiative. Um, We could be carbon neutral tomorrow. We're not going to move the needle on global temperature rise, but if we can create scalable solutions that other people can implement, then we really can have world reach. And I think Aspen should be a, a testbed and a laboratory for those ideas. So, for me, I'm very passionate, obviously, I'm here about governance and government. I've had the good fortune and luck to be able to backpack in some of the weirdest places in the world, and holy God, does that give you appreciation for what we have here. And since the rise of you know the Axis powers and fascism, our democracy is being challenged more than anywhere or any time in recent history. And I believe the most foundational part of democracy is trust. Trust is engendered when you're part of the game. And so this rush to uh, people not voting I think you start there. And so that's why we worked on this 2A thing, right? Was step one is let's have Aspen make a statement that we care about voter participation. The long-term goal is to have Aspen be the first city in the country with 100% voter participation. To test out all those things that get workshopped in Washington but can't get implemented here and export that. So first year, housing, second thing, I want to work on that goal, 100% voter participation. But critically, I want to use that as the vehicle to address and reform the public process, to bring new staff, new city manager along with me in that process collaboratively, and to come out at the end of that year with an entirely new public engagement process. From there, now we've got the two foundational items done. Now we can go move on to affordable business or afford, or, or resilience uh, if, if we're successful.
0: How do you get council to go along with you on that?
1: Um, Well, first choose my second vote wisely. (laughs) Um, You know, I can't answer your question honestly because I don't know who's going to be on that council. What I can point to is a strong history of taking an approach that starts first with bringing a group together to identify a problem statement. If you agree upon the problem statement, then you're at least tracking in the same direction. Then going out and finding solutions to that statement, bringing them back to that core group, softening them, whittling them down, picking which ones people are on board with. So you're building a consensus from the beginning. Then going and talking to the people that are actually going to be impacted by that choice because there are no or no decisions without trade-offs in public policy. Right? right? And so you've got to bring along both people who will benefit and people that you know, stand to be hurt by so that we can work on that from the beginning. Um, then again, you refine, you refine, uh, and then you take it out to the larger constituency, the voters, to people of Aspen, uh, and really get broad, not just feedback, but support. Uh, and hopefully by the time you've worked through that, people are bought in enough that you've got the votes, but critically you also have the data and the background to demonstrate why it's important to those that are detractors. So. That was the exact process for 2A to change the election date. Again, something we'd been trying to do since the 80s. Uh, and we did by more than 40 points because of that approach, I believe. And probably timing is part of it, too. Um, but you know, when, when someone like Bert Myron st- stood up and said, hey, we're not for this 2A. We don't want eligible voters voting. And he was explicit. He said, seasonal workers, Skico, depending on who you work for or when you get here, regardless of voter laws, I think my judgment better. and I don't think you should vote, which I find absolutely disgusting, to be honest with you. Um, but when that opinion rose its head, we were prepared. We understood the arguments. We had talked to people who disagreed. We'd even converted some of them to our support. And at the end of the day, for those 30% who didn't agree, we said, hey, look, we appreciate your opinion. Feel free to come back at us. We'll be open to changing our mind in the future if you're right. Uh, but right now, we know we've got the backing, and this is getting done. And you actually encourage bold and brave decision making, as opposed to inhibiting it, which our current process does. So um, can I count my votes yet? No, I can't count my votes yet, Reid. I don't know who my votes are. But do I have a history of a model that has been effective in doing it? Yeah. I would say so, with some failures along the way.
0: Well, failure's underrated. Um, I agree. You're an intense guy. sometimes. <laughs> what do you do to relax?
1: Um, that's a good question. So I have two d- I, <laughs> I often say like moderation in the extremes is kind of how I live my life. So yes, yeah, so I get into this um, is I can be intense, but I think if you ask Bear in the audience, he would tell you I can be pretty goofy as well. Um, but I skiing is, is still you know, my best day of the year is still ski day. Um, getting out there and jumping off something thirty feet high will, will relax you pretty quick and turn you into a kid. Um, traveling is probably my favorite thing in the world. I have learned
0: Do you have a favorite place you'd go or so you have if to ask could the question go anywhere? specific if
1: I could go anywhere. So people always ask the favorite place, which is in my mind kind of a hollow question. No offense people asking that question. Um, Okay, we're done. But (laughs) well, but I think you have to you hone in on it because to me there's a big distinction between vacation and travel. I don't go on vacation; I travel. Um, I'm not really interested in vacation. Sitting on a beach is not interesting to me. Yeah, Um, but what does interest you? I want to go, take myself as far outside of my social, cultural, political, economic norm as possible. Where would that be then? The place that I would I'll reframe it for you. The place that I would least give back as an experience is North Korea. Um, that's obviously not a place you want to go vacation, um, I would go back, but um, yeah, probably in order, this is gonna sound weird, um, North Korea, Burning Man, Iran, in that order for that reason. Uh, so travel's a big one, and I'm happy to jump in on any fun travel stories. Summer, for me, is all, like, running. Well, um, well let's stop here for a second. North okay. Korea, yeah.
0: Burning Man, Iran. Iran. I think that's a fascinating list. Yeah. You know, North Korea is, you know, the hermit kingdom. And we know very little about it. It's, it is going to some place that we're not connected to. Um, then Burning Man, it's it's hard to say whether that's uh, an alternative experience or, or what. Now and mm-hmm. Iran is the same. Have way. you been
1: to the the second? No. No. Okay. Because I think people who haven't been often have a lot of misconceptions about it. Um, Burning Man, you know, it's seventy thousand people. Right? You've been to it then? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, five times now. It's amazing. I recommend anyone go, and I really mean anyone. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Um, I'm, i I went before the North Korea trip, and I remember coming back and thinking, you know, for the last four years, every time I could, I've been trying to get as far outside of my cultural, societal norm as possible, and all I had to do was go to Nevada, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, And then Iran was… And then Iran. God, Iran's amazing. I mean, if you want your mind changed about the Middle East or about uh, Muslims or Sufis or whatever it is, boy, will that expand it for you. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Yes. have a question about the list? No,
0: no. I just wanted people to hear a little bit more about it before you moved on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, North Korea, you know, it it is, it's really, no matter what you read, at least for me, uh, living in a open Western society, you simply cannot imagine or envision what total state control looks like. I mean, total. No cell phones no internet. Every book, every magazine, every TV show, every movie, every song, every pop artist, your clothes, your bar mitzvah equivalent, all state run and organized. Um, I mean, you know, you, you know the history about the DMZ between the north and the south, but you watch people there bawling their eyes out because the rest of the world is keeping them from their family on the other side. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing they know. It's it's unbelievable, and so you know. I think I wrote this. I, I sometimes write for NPR when I travel. Um, I wrote this piece, and it was like an iPad uh, and a plow, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't drop a bomb. Uh, I wouldn't stoke conflict. How do you stoke conflict with someone who has a completely different understanding of the world, right? Drop an iPad from a balloon and let them explore it for themselves and find Hmm. it. You can't go into Bible camp and say, hey, your God's an asshole and expect a good response, right? Yeah. Um, And a plow because you, you literally, you drive on these six lane highways that are perfectly manicured and you don't see a car for two hours and you pass fields and it's 40 degrees and raining and there's not even an ox So it's a piece of metal and two people with a rope. Give them a little convenience and an opportunity to grow. I think that's how you win that battle, right? It's a a powerful experience.
0: Amazing. Well, we're running out of time. (laughs) Uh, It went went pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, But I really want to thank you for... Making the time today and, and for anyone who runs for public office, including yourself and Thanks, Reed. uh really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Reed. I, I really appreciate you and I hope anyone who's watching realizes that, you know, I'm, I'm not running to pull punches or cover up issues. You know, I'll tell you exactly what I think about anything and I'll be willing to listen if you disagree and change my mind if evidence presents. And so, you know, I'm an open book and I hope that um, People find us however they can. I can't tell you how to do it, but you can find it. They're smart. <laughs> and uh, I, hope, I hope they reach out, and I, I hope to have their vote because I think we're at a this is a tipping point, man, and this is going to be a really big election. Thank you, Skippy. Thanks, Reed.
0: And thank you for joining us on this edition of ProBlunt.